A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, Offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello, dear listener, and welcome to Owning It! The Anxiety Podcast with me, Caroline Foran. I'm joined this week by such an incredible person and writer she writes poetry she writes kids books she's just a lovely person Jessica Ehrlich all the way from New Zealand she joins me to discuss her experience of anxiety her experience of postpartum anxiety in particular she is a mother of two she's about to become a mother of three and she like myself found it very difficult in the beginning so we talk through her experience what was going on what helped what didn't and how she's doing now so I hope you find this helpful if you're in those early days or you're expecting or maybe it's something that you can listen to in a healing way that will help you think about the past if you went through it a while ago but thank you for listening thank you as always for the feedback and I hope that you enjoy this episode Jessica Ehrlich thank you so much for joining me on Owning It the Anxiety podcast I have been dying to have you on for so long you're all the way down in New Zealand it's nighttime where you are so thank you for making the time Oh, thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this too. You have been such a source of comfort to me with your writing. You are the most incredible poetry writer for particularly motherhood. And your books came to me at a time when I was very much in the postpartum, really depths of anxiety and overwhelm. You're a prolific writer. You're huge on social media and you're a mum yourself of soon to be three. Yes, soon to be three. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. And also, not only have you written the, the poetry books, which have just resonated with so many people on, on so many levels and saved people, really, to be quite honest, you also write children's books. And your book, with the rainbow in my heart, is Kaylin, my son. It's his literal favorite book. He just loves it so much. And it's the one he calls his books, Bookas, and he just keeps bringing it to me all the time. So congratulations on all that you've achieved. Thank you. Can I start by asking you, pre-kids was anxiety a feature of your life at all it's funny that you ask that because just as you were talking about that I was thinking I've actually always had some level of anxiety but it wasn't until I experienced postpartum anxiety that I actually I guess after speaking with a counselor as well sort of stepped back and kind of like looked at my life like a bird's eye view of my life so maybe before kids, it was very like high functioning anxiety where the anxiety made you perform to your best. And then 
after kids it's like hold on we need to actually feel the full weight of this and then it becomes the opposite of high functioning and it's like low functioning anxiety where you just can't necessarily cope yeah and I also think as well like when you're a stay-at-home mom especially in those early days it kind of feels like there's there's no escape so like before I was keeping really busy I mean you're really busy when you're a stay-at-home mom too but it's it's different you're kind of like within four walls um there's not a lot of going out you spend some time ruminating you're so tired And I guess maybe before that, the difference was I would find ways to distract myself. Um, I I wasn't dealing with it. um, So I'm not saying that's the right way to do it. But I think that's how I guess I escaped dealing with it for so long. Yeah, I think when you're really busy, you can just put it to the back of your mind a lot of the time. And I think you become so aware of yourself in ways that I I feel like having a kid. I've used the phrase before, it it was said to me like being turned upside down and shaken and and all of anything that's loose is going to fall out. Absolutely. Whatever is there that hasn't been addressed is going to rise to the surface and you're also exhausted and everything. So I'm almost surprised when, when people don't experience some level of postpartum anxiety, given what you go through with matrescence. Mm. I think a lot of people also don't like to talk about it because there's still that stigma there that you should be enjoying every minute and that if you're finding it tough then you're ungrateful and you know just it's a bit ridiculous and I think that more people are speaking out now um so hopefully that stigmatization starts to dissipate in time it's so important and I think there's I mean I've I've talked about it many times before people's discomfort around vulnerability and wanting to immediately solve your problem often it's because they're uncomfortable with your discomfort Mm. And we need to we need to normalize discomfort because it's such a part of life. And I think if we can take away the fear of what other people think or the judgment around feeling vulnerable, then that top layer of anxiety will kind of dissolve in itself. Mm, Yeah, I agree. When you when you had your first baby, how, how many years ago was that? Four and a half years ago. And how soon into the newborn days did you feel like? Mm, I'm not necessarily feeling what the image that I was sold of what the newborn bubble would be like. Oh, I think it was probably, I experienced um, baby blues, which I'm sure many of us experience. And so in the beginning, I think I put it down to that. Um, I had a pretty traumatic birth with Harry. um, So I'm also attributing it to that as well. Of course. Um, and then we had a lot of trouble breastfeeding. So we couldn't breastfeed. It was painful. It was awful. Every time he woke, I would, the anxiety would creep in because I knew that I had to feed and it was like shards of glass. And I had seen like, you know, copious lactation consultants. I'd done everything I, I thought I was supposed to do. That was also a huge part um, of my anxiety as well. And so I think it was probably in the first, maybe after the first week, um, I started to just, I guess, progressively get worse and feel more lonely and just shut off. Um, it wasn't like it was like that all the time, but it just, yeah, it, I guess it just felt like there was a rain cloud there every day. A lot of the anxiety then it sounds like that you were experiencing there was very like circumstantial, you know, obviously there's the hormonal impact of recovering from a difficult childbirth, but had you had the support system around you that validated how you were feeling and, and I don't mean support in your immediate family, I mean, in like society to, to mm. not make you feel like you were failing. 
for this for the breastfeeding not to be working in your favor the anxiety probably wouldn't have gotten to the extent that it did it's hard it's hard to say I experienced anxiety again second time around but I mean I guess in my mind I have um the way that I make sense of things is I have connected them to events and I do think that a lot of it is circumstantial like my second they were born a year apart like there's got to be some (laughs) circumstantial anxiety with that as well so if things are going really well for me and you know nothing's bothering me and I'm having a really great day my mind's not like hey you should be worrying about something it's not like that it generally does stem from um, a situation but it takes me a really long time to recover from that and how did the anxiety manifest like what were you feeling and and when did you know that it was anxiety you were dealing with especially if it was something that you hadn't really had to confront before I think like the fear of um, my husband leaving for work like I was truly petrified and I the fear would set in uh, the night before Um, I mean I had trouble sleeping anyway because no one slept yeah. So that's kind of, that was just that pretty standard stuff there with um, babies. I think, yeah, I think it was mostly just the, the fear of leaving the house. Like, I mean, I did do it. I'd go for walks and stuff, but it just, I didn't feel like me. I didn't feel like the confident person that I once was. Like when people came over to visit me, I felt like I didn't know how to hold a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, I just felt like I was some somebody else. And I, I remember writing this piece once, like, I'd gone and hung out with a group of friends. Um, and when I left, I just had so much anxiety. I was like, oh my God, like, did I say the wrong thing? I'm not witty anymore. Like I used to be witty, pretty sure what I said was not funny. And like, it was just, I never used to be like that. I never used to worry like that. Um, it just shook me. I guess I just felt like a different person. Oh, well, I was just saying like, for me, it was very intense. I think a certain amount of time has to pass. Confidence has to grow. You kind of have to go through that uncertainty, I think, to come out the other side. When you physically recover and everything goes back to where it belongs, a lot of that sorts it out as well. So I think it's just really important to, to talk about it and be aware that it's okay. and so normal to feel like that in the beginning. And, and really in the first year, like for me, it was the first year I found incredibly tough from just feeling like this is so much harder than I thought it would be. Yeah, it is. It is so much harder. And I think as well, like when I first started scrolling social media, like, cause you mean like my homepage all of a sudden changed from what my friends were getting up to, to, you know, baby paraphernalia everywhere. And, you know, just everything became baby. Um, and it was consuming. And then I started following mummy bloggers and then I was like, Oh, I I need this Pinterest perfect nursery. And I have to have (laughs) the wooden toys that match everything. And Oh my goodness, I need this can't afford it, but I need to get it. Um, otherwise I'm a terrible mother. And it just, it just this, like, I guess society's vision of what the perfect mother is and what you need to provide for your child and how things should look was just so consuming. Um, and then obviously when baby arrived and I was still looking at these feeds and I started to compare myself and it was just, it was really something I could have done without, but at the same time, social media is one of those, it also connects you to people. So it's like, it's really, it's really important to be careful what you consume, especially as a new mum. But you're just sitting there. I mean, if you're sitting there feeding, whether it's on the boob or on the bottle, like, the, or the baby's napping on you, you're just scrolling, scrolling, scrolling the whole time, passively absorbing all of this content that's getting targeted to you. And when you're in that kind of fragile headspace, what might be meant as inspiration just becomes something that you use to attack yourself with and shame yourself for not doing it how it should look. Absolutely. And that's, and that's the thing, like 
so many of these influencers and bloggers, they weren't putting anything out there to upset anybody, but it was my perception. Like it was me comparing myself against somebody like, you know, you compare your bad bits against all their good bits and you can never win. And I just, I found that I was doing that so often and it was just sending me into a downward spiral. When did you know that you needed to maybe get some help or, or address it or like vocalize it? Like, did you talk to your partner about it immediately or did you feel like you couldn't say it because it's supposed to be the happiest time of your life? Yeah, I think it was, it was probably that. I think it was around three months that I decided completely to stop pumping, stop doing anything like that and just go straight with formula. Um, Cause that was the best decision mm-hmm. for both of us. And I had that like full support from my family for that. Um, but I still like, I still felt like it was a really hard decision. Like I, yeah. I cried making that decision because it wasn't easy. And I said to Drew, my husband, I was like, you know, I don't really know how to say this, but I think there's something wrong with me. I was like, I think I have postpartum anxiety. Like I wasn't sure if it was depression. I wasn't sure. I said, I just need to, I think I need to talk to someone. And he was like, yeah, absolutely. Like let's get you someone to talk to. And then I talked to my mom and they were both amazing Um, And that's, yeah, that's when we booked me in to see a counsellor. But over here, it took a good two months for me to talk to someone. So, yeah, it was a long wait. Um, And I think nowadays, gosh, it might be even longer. But it was good when the time came. I still needed to offload a lot of things. So I'm I'm glad I did it. And what helped, like, what do you think helped put you back together again from that feeling of being lost at sea or lost from yourself? Gosh, I don't really know. I think... I think just talking about it, um, I think time, mm-hmm. definitely time. And it was it was just baby steps. Like when I felt ready to do things, not because I felt I had to do them, like go out with friends or um, take Harry to a baby group that I didn't really want to go to. It was when I made the decision to do something because I actually felt like I wanted to do it. That was kind of like a breakthrough for me. Once I'd done it and I'd come home and I was like, oh, I just did that. And I actually feel good about it. Like these little wee building block achievements just slowly started to build me up again. And that made, yeah, that made a huge difference. And also obviously putting pen to paper for you has been, I'm sure, such an incredible coping mechanism for you. And like, same with me for for owning it or for even the, the podcast or the books. People say like, oh, you've done this for other people and you've helped so many people, but you're also doing it for yourself. You're figuring it out yourself in real time as you write, as you put things together, as you conceptualize. So did you just begin writing poetry at that time? No, it wasn't actually then. It was, um, so after I had Holly, so yeah, as I mentioned before, Harry and Holly are a year apart. And and this is the crazy thing. And I, I always say this, after what I went through with Harry and how tough those first few months are, I was pregnant again four months after and we planned it. Like what, wow. what the heck? I don't even like who, what was I thinking? But anyway, like it's great. <laughs> it was hard, but it's great, like best decision. Um, but then after I had Holly, totally different experience. We had um a really good birth, had a positive breastfeeding journey, just just totally different experience. But I did start to go through postnatal anxiety again. And um luckily my husband, and my mum were totally across it, like they were aware of the signs. We talked about it before. And, um, but it wasn't, it wasn't as bad. I felt like I had tools. You had the awareness and you recognized it and you knew it would pass. And and also the fact that there was two kids, of course, that's a huge, a huge stretch of your capacity for just getting through the day as, as wonderful as it can be. And I know we feel like we always need to caveat by saying that, of course, it's great. And of course you love them. Doesn't mean it's not incredibly hard. 
And I was told the whole way through that it was going to be hard. And I was like, oh, my God, like, shut up. Like, I know, but, you know, don't want to hear that right now. Let me just let me just see how how I go. Wow, nothing, nothing could have prepared me for it. Like, because you essentially have two babies. But the thing is, I can't compare it to having twins because I imagine that would be incredibly difficult. But as they sort of grew, I found it really hard because, you know, how you go from like zero to three months, three to six months, like so much changes in those blocks but you're dealing with two different stages. It was just crazy. And so when Holly was, and both of them didn't sleep. So when Holly was around, I think it was about four months, uh, Drew said to me, you know, you should just start an Instagram account and just start writing again. Cause I'd never read him any poetry or anything, but he knew that I love to write. Like I've talked about it in the past. And just, you were just writing before as a hobby or was a professional before you become a mom? Just, just as a hobby, I used to, um, like when I was younger, I'd write poetry and like some of my pieces were published in magazines when I was young. Um, and then I had like a blog for a while and like, I never took it seriously, but like I had like boxes of journals out the back from when I was a kid. So Drew knew that it was just like this little wee love of mine. And yeah, so he suggested that and, um, it was so cathartic and it's funny because as my, I guess, vulnerability, like as I felt more, I guess, inclined to share more um, and I was more vulnerable with everyone, my, my following grew and it was like, wow, this is so amazing. But then I was like, oh, but this is also scary because there's more of you reading my stuff and I don't know how I feel about that. And then uh, one day someone just randomly commented on a post, are you ever going to put your pieces into a book? And I was like, oh gosh, I don't know. Like I didn't really think anyone would want to read these in a book, but, hmm. and then I started thinking about it and that's kind of how that happened. It's amazing how going through something difficult can like produce the most incredible stuff for you. And actually the process of writing after Holly came, do you think it was quite healing for what you went through with Harry? Yeah, definitely. So, so healing. We need to talk about the vulnerability and, and the sharing because we're both very, very similar in that way in that we we put out, we bear our hearts on, on social media. And I think we do it from a place of, like the world needs that we need to have people doing that but also like I can't cope if I was to just put out the best bits and try to live up to some version of myself I would have exploded in those first few months because that was so not my reality and I think that if you have if what you put out to the world is so vastly at odds with how you feel that's the definition of imposter syndrome and that's a source of anxiety so you have to kind of make sure that what you put out to the world is is authentic and I think people respond in kind most people do. Yeah. Yeah. And I think to be vulnerable, it's the buzzword these days. Brené Brown has written about it extensively and, and I, I've written about it a lot as well. Not that I'm anywhere near Brené Brown's level, but it really, the definition of vulnerability is to be like open to attack and it's not easy to be vulnerable, but we're all vulnerable. And I think we need to lean into our vulnerability. And it's for me anyway, it's turned my life around to, to really be okay with that part of myself, but it's not without its risk and its judgment. And that for sensitive people or anyone is really hard to take. So how did it feel for you when you started putting stuff out there? Obviously there was, I mean, you must've skyrocketed very quickly because it was only, it's only been in a few years and you have what, how many followers do you have now? I think it was 190,000 on Instagram. Like that's a lot of people's opinions. It's a lot of people's comments. We were never meant to have access to that many voices. We were meant to just be in our tribe and that 
is like such a source of anxiety when you put something out there, especially because it's so personal. Like, I think it's easier for say like a fashion blogger on Instagram just to share snaps of their outfits and it's not them. They can keep themselves for themselves, but you're putting, you're kind of putting out your experiences, your vulnerability. I, I've certainly had moments where I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore because I don't want to put myself at risk. Like I love writing. I love having a community on there, but it is sometimes it's like that extra added like anxiety before you hit post that I'm like oh I don't really need this today like I'm really busy today I've got other priorities I don't know if I need to be feeling this right now over Instagram post um and so I had these conversations with Drew and I'm like you know oh I might just I might just deactivate my account he's like think about it like you know just think about don't do anything um rash and I'm like yeah but you know I've been thinking about it for a while but the thing is I don't actually want to do that I've decided for me because I'll go back when I started, I had a small following and it was, and it still is for me at least very authentic, but I felt like I really knew these people and I have regular people messaging me. I'm always chatting to the same people predominantly. I don't have time to check all my messages. I'd love to, but I just, I don't, but now it's gotten so big. Like I'm, I'm grateful. I'm grateful. My books are traveling. I'm grateful for the messages um, that, you know, from people who my writing has touched but it is hard because, you know, you'll end up getting some messages or comments sometimes that you think, this doesn't sound like my community. Like this sounds like, how did you find me? It's almost like um, a hate follow. Yeah. Like it's like, you know, how TikTok, you could put something out there, but you get all sorts of, like, it just goes to anybody. Sometimes you'll get a comment that feels a bit that way. And it's sort of all of a sudden, like this beautiful community you've built doesn't feel as safe, but like the reality is you're on the internet. There are so many people. I don't know every single person that follows me. Um, so, yeah, it is scary. And especially, you know, I talk a lot about my boy. Um, he's been diagnosed with sensory processing disorder uh, and dyspraxia. And I talk a lot about that while also being very mindful that I want to protect him um, and, and, you know, his privacy. But at the same time, I think this is something that people should know about, though. It's really important. Like, this isn't something to hide. And, um but it is hard because you don't want someone coming back to you saying, oh, actually, you know, it's probably autism. You, do you know what I mean? Like, it's like you're just opening your life up to people. I have nowhere near that amount of followers, but I'm finding it really hard to keep because you're putting your yourself and your life on Instagram and, you know, you're writing what you're writing is, is so personal as well. It's hard not to like link it to your self-worth. And that's just such a slippery slope for anxiety as well. And it's hard not to fall apart when you get that one mean message because we're we're hardwired to like hone in on that negative and feel threatened by that because if we're if someone in our in our perceived tribe is like attacking us that's a risk to our our survival and that's all our brain cares about so it's as much as you can say well look 99 percent people think you know really liked this that one percent can stop you in your tracks so can you can you tell me about a time or maybe when it started to build for you that you had to confront something like that and the anxiety that went with that. I don't, I don't check all of my messages. So I'm sure there's messages in there that maybe aren't so nice, but what I try and do is I, it's so easy to put something out there that appeals to the masses to protect yourself. But I promised myself I wouldn't do that because I'm always going to talk from my experience and I know that I'm going to lose followers and I do. I guess that's what filters out the people that aren't meant to be there. And that's what keeps the authenticity there. So if I do get a message or I do get a comment and it's, you know, it is, it is upsetting because you, you're bearing your soul, as you said before, but 
I just remind myself like, okay, my story doesn't align with you. It's not your story. And I also think like sometimes people will say, oh, I wish you'd written about this or you could have been inclusive of this. And I think, well, you can write about it. Yeah, I know that pisses me off as well, because you can only speak for yourself and your own experience. You can't articulate what the entire world has gone through. Like someone else can do that. It's actually hard as well, though, like, you know, when when big world events happen and look, there's been a few of them in the last three years. um, And it's right about the time I sort of came onto social media. um, People think that because you have a big following, you're all of a sudden going to be a spokesperson for every current event. And I'll get messages like that, like, why are you being silent about so-and-so? And I'm like, well, I'm actually not. I'm having these conversations at home. I'm just not going to put myself out there on the internet about it. I think people forget that my platform is um, around my books. It's about motherhood poetry. And yeah, I share other stuff, but it's it's so hard. Like we were talking a bit about it before. You're one person, you're one voice. And then you've got like thousands and thousands back. And I think people forget that. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. I didn't last anywhere near as long as you with breastfeeding. I, I really, I felt so mentally fragile and I was, I was struggling with breastfeeding in the first few days. And I just said to my husband, I had a complete meltdown and I said, I, I don't think I can do this. I can't do this. I can't take this all on. And he was at the time had been like, oh, my God, but it's the best for the baby. And I was like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to fall apart. And eventually he was like, no, it's Mm. okay. Like, we'll figure this out. And I went on to Instagram and shared that because I was so desperate for the reassurance. But still, I got so many messages saying like, oh, I'm really sorry you couldn't do the best for your baby. And and it was like, I'm so glad for you that breastfeeding worked out. And I don't know why, but it's such a contentious issue. But it didn't for me. And that's okay but you don't need to judge me for the fact that you had a different journey so I don't Mm. know why people can't just keep their opinions to themselves in that way I don't know what it is like this need to reach out and be like hey I don't like what you're doing I don't know what needs to change in society for that to change but I just I do find it shocking the the judgment that happens that comes from mothers the very people who know what it's like to feel that vulnerable it's it's just that age-old saying isn't it if you've got nothing nice to say don't say anything at all like 
I don't know. I, I get messages like that sometimes too. And I just think like, don't come over here onto my page and tell me what you would like to see. Go find another page where, you know, their message or, or their experience aligns with yours. If that's what you want, if that's going to make you happy, I don't need to hear about it. Like you do you. And I, I know exactly what you mean when I, cause Harry and I, I think we only lasted it might've been about three weeks, but I pumped for about, well, I mix fed until about three months. But after three weeks, I reached out to everybody. Um, people, like I was the first of my friends to have a baby. So I didn't really know anyone I could reach out to. So I was messaging people on my Facebook that I didn't even really know, but I knew that they had kids. And I'm like, yeah, so um, how was the breastfeeding? Cause I was just, they were probably thinking what on earth, but I was just seeking this validation. Like some camaraderie, like someone to say, oh, it didn't work out for me either, but hun, like it's okay. You'll, you'll get through this. These feelings won't last. Um, you're still an amazing mom. You know, like I needed to hear that and not just from my mom, not just from my husband. I needed to hear it from another mom who had been there and been through it. And so when I started to write, I started to write about these things because I remembered how I felt. I mean, even though there was some backlash, I'm glad I did. What poem of yours has gotten the most conflicting reaction? Oh, do you know what? Anything to do with responsive sleep or anything to do with me switching to the bottle. You comforting your baby back to sleep, you get judgment for that. Not, not so much judgment. People thinking that I am judging them for sleep training, which I'm not doing, but we made the decision um, not to sleep train and um, because it just wasn't right for us. So what I've done through my poetry is just um, because there was a huge pressure on me from some of the nurses that came to see me to let him cry. And I just never wanted to do that. And so through my poetry, um, I'm just trying to encourage mums that also don't want to do that to not feel that they have to, because at the end of the day, you do what you need to do. You do what feels right for you. By putting these poems out there, I've had people come back to me going, oh, like, thank you so much. Like, I felt like what we were doing was the wrong thing for us and reading what you've written. It's just, it's made me feel so good. And then I have other people saying, are you against what I'm doing? And I'm like, no, 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 but (laughs) this is my experience. This is what I'm passionate about. It's really hard. Like I said before, I don't want to put posts and and writing out there that's just going to appeal to the masses because then I feel like it's just not going to reach anyone. It's not going to penetrate anybody's soul because, well, how can it? I know. Yeah. And that's when you lose your authenticity and it's so important. The world needs that. I really believe the world needs that. And you have such a huge platform on which to be authentic. So talk to me about the anxiety now. So you're, you're going into number three, you've had a bit of have you had a bit of breathing space? I guess the kids are a little bit older now. Um, oh, look, they are fighting all the time. I don't know what it is. Like they're three and four and like they're best mates, but then they just fight all the time. So it's pretty intense. And we're, we've got school holidays right now. So no breathing space at all. But when they go back to kindy, it'll be amazing. Um, there's been, there's been a little bit of anxiety, me thinking about the birth again, just because of what I went through with Harry. And I went and spoke to my uh, midwife. I've got a new midwife this time and, um, she was really great. She actually suggested that I go and maybe talk to someone again and just unpack it all. Um, she doesn't think I've dealt with it properly and I haven't. Um, although I don't really want to, it's a hard one because I don't want to, Actually, I was reading your book the other night and you said something in there. I'm going to paraphrase it because I'm tired, but it really spoke to me. It was about how it's really good to talk about things and to go through the things that have happened in your past, but 
there's a certain point where you have to say, okay, like this has happened, but I want to focus on the now and I want to move forward and what strategies can I put in place? So I'm, I'm there. That's when I kind of turned to CBT, which I think we all probably use in some shape or form, even, even if we're not going to a therapist, like looking at, okay, well, what am I afraid of here? Okay. Well, is that true? Is that likely to happen? What, what do I know from past experience? Well, what can I do if this does happen? It's kind of putting, putting action on, on how you're feeling and putting you in the driving seat of it, which was a game changer for me because when you're anxious, you need to do something, you need to, you need to move. And that for me was, was really, really helpful. How are you feeling these days and in every way? I guess like the anxiety, the initial anxiety settles and then new parenting anxiety comes along and just general like life stuff. Do you feel like becoming a parent has changed you fundamentally to the point that you're a more anxious person now? I think I worry a lot more. Um, I don't know if anxiety and worry goes hand in hand. Probably not. Um, I'm not sure, but I think I definitely worry more just because like the kids are generally at the forefront of my mind, you know, like every decision you make and everything you think about, they're they're generally in in the center of that. Um, Well, they are for me at the moment anyway. And so it's just that, it's just that extra thing to carry around all the time. And they're like, you know, as they say, it's like your heart walking outside of your body. Like I'm always worried, I guess. I'm always worried about my kids and I need to, I know I need to step back. I know I need to like trust the universe or whatever, but it's hard for me. One One of the things that I do is I, worry about something because I feel like if that something happens I've done my worrying so it won't be as bad it's almost like I'm researching the worry I mean I know people say like worrying means that you go through the thing twice but it's also in another way it's kind of sometimes it's a helpful strategy if you're if you tend to be a worrier to game out what could happen and then that sometimes takes a bit of the fear away because you're kind of confronting all the possibilities. So like, for example, like if I go to give a talk at, at an event in person and I like people would say, oh, just imagine it going really well. Just imagine it going really well. I have to imagine it going really wrong to figure out what would I do in the situation yeah. if it does. And, and only then when I've actually let my worries come to the fore because they're valid, because the worries, they're there mm-hmm. for a reason. And if you try and just ignore them, they're going to come back up at an inopportune mm-hmm. time later on. Your worries are trying to put your attention on something that needs your attention. Obviously there's times where it goes too far and you're worrying needlessly, but there is, there is something to be said for like allowing yourself like a little bit of a worry. And then when you've let those out, then bringing in the more rational side of your brain and saying, okay, well, like I said, like, well, how likely is that to happen? And okay, well, what if, what if I do trip over on the stage? Well, I'll just get back up again. And what is the actual worst that can happen? And then when you've done all that, that's when I find the more positive visualization is actually helpful because it's, you're thinking, okay, well now that's imagining this going right. And it's not, it's not, you're not forcing this positive image on yourself. So for me, it's like a two-hander that's really helpful. So I don't think you need to not be a worrier. Do you think that you are very hard on yourself? Oh, totally. But I'm also with someone like my husband is the opposite of me, which is good. Like we balance each other out, I guess. He's very chilled and he's super positive. Um, and when he tells me I'm being negative about something, I, I'm like, no, I'm just being a realist because you're not seeing what could happen. So I'm trying to, you know, I come in there and I'm like, but you know, this could happen, this could happen. And I come up with all the scenarios and he's like, how do you, how do you think of these things? Like, you know, let's just, let's just have a good time. And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> I'd love to be like you, but I, I just, know. I don't know. Maybe I'm just, I'm just wired differently. Um, and I definitely like, don't get me wrong. I, I'm, I'm, 
I'm really fun at parties. <laughs> I'm not like this negative Nancy. No, I know. I'm the same. It's like that. We're warriors, but we're also we're grateful as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. totally. I, had to, I had to put that out there because I'm painting this horrible picture of myself. But um, yeah, I think I think since having kids, I worry more. But at the same time, I think I'm a better person. Um, I don't. I definitely don't worry about the same superficial crap that I used to. I think my worries are better spent now worrying about things that actually matter. Um, I don't have time. Yeah, like I said, for that superficial stuff. So, um, and I'm a lot more grateful than I've ever been. So I think I think motherhood has definitely made me into a much better version of myself. I'm still myself. Um, and now I'm actually learning how to deal with anxiety, which I don't even know if I would have made that step if it wasn't becoming a mother. Yeah. And it's such, it's such essential work to be able to understand what makes us tick, what, what makes us feel overwhelmed and, and like crucially, like where it's coming from, but what we can do to like bring ourselves back down to feeling okay. So what are the small things that you turn to now in your pregnancy or these days that when you're like, okay, I'm feeling stretched to capacity, I'm feeling overwhelmed. Like what does it for you to help just balance things again? Sometimes if, if I can, I just like to get outside. Um, I always feel better if I'm out of the house, um, even if I'm just getting out, like walking out of the, the doors out onto the deck um, or I'll go for a walk with the kids, just get out. Um, another thing that I learned through counseling though, and sometimes I still get intrusive thoughts because I used to have them quite badly with um, uh, after having Harry, was just actually just not trying to push the thought away but acknowledging that it's there and then just, I guess, trying to replace it with anything, just something else. I read a book by, I don't know if you've read it, Naomi Stadlin called What Mothers Do, Especially When It Looks Like Nothing. And I read it three times in a row, back to back, when I, in the early days of pregnancy, I really recommend it to any new mother feeling anxious. And I remember also having some intrusive thoughts and being like, whoa, like, what are these? And no one wants to say out loud that you you have those thoughts of like harming your baby or anything, but she explains the neuroscience of that. And actually your brain puts those thoughts in your head to make sure that nothing bad happens to your baby. And actually it's your mother instinct turning on and kicking in and it's part of the process, but they're so, they can be so jarring and frightening when you just imagine, like say, like I'm walking down the stairs with my baby and I just imagine, oh my God, I could just drop him now. And I'm like, why the fuck am I thinking that? But it's your brain priming you to be like, make sure you don't make sure you're holding on tight. And actually yeah. it's a very functional, if totally fucked up way of turning on like that mother instinct. But she just includes so much field research from so many different mothers and parents explaining and, and articulating the same stuff that to me was just so incredibly validating at that time. Oh, I'll need to read it. Before I let you go, for anyone listening who's maybe going into maybe they're pregnant and they're going they're, they're about to come parent and they're worried about postnatal anxiety or someone who's in the depths of it now and they're feeling like oh my god I did not expect to feel like this this is not what I was sold on Instagram what would you say to make that person feel like they can come up for air well firstly I would say that it's nothing that you have done you're not failing there are so many mothers you know and fathers that are right where you are right now at this moment um but talk to somebody like please just talk to someone close to you that you trust um don't bottle it all up and just know that it will go away it's it's this feeling is not here forever Jessica Ehrlich, thank you so much for giving me your time. I've loved chatting to you. Before I let you go, let my listeners know what you have out in the world right now, books-wise and what's coming and where people can find you for more. Okay, well, thank you so much for having me as well. Um, I've loved this chat. 
So I have uh, three poetry books on early motherhood and um, you can find that, well, you can find them on a lot of distributor websites, but it's probably easier just to head over to my website. And I've got two children's books. And the second one, My Superpowers, actually comes out in the UK and Ireland in early September. Fabulous. Well, I can't wait to read the new book. If I get to New Zealand ever, I will 100% be ringing you up to catch up. And we can have all the fun at parties and prove that we're actually good crack. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely, yes. Let's do that. (laughs) Thank you so much. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. The easiest way to access Owning It Real Time is to head to the link in the episode description or episode details, whatever you call them, show notes. You will find the link in there at the top. You can sign up right away for Owning It Real Time and access the full library of 10 situation-specific audio guides that will help you own your anxiety even more than you've ever done before.